and welcome to Inside the Therapy Room. I'm your host, Sam Sellers. I'm a registered therapist, a wife and fur mama, and I am passionate about breaking down the barriers and stigma that is attached to therapy. I want to begin by honouring and acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. Today, Mel is in Mullumbara, Yidinji country, and Sam is on Gundungurra land. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations people. We must always remember that the land below our feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today we are chatting to Melanie Folks, who is a counsellor with lived experience of autism, ADHD, chronic illness and chronic pain. Her private practice offers trauma-informed online counselling that supports individuals living with chronic illness and disability, aiming to meet clients with compassion, acceptance and accessibility. Tune in to hear her share about working with those who have chronic pain or illness, talk about who fits into this category, the impact COVID has had on the community and what it's like inside her virtual therapy room. But don't forget, there's one myth that she would love to smash. Make sure you stick around to hear about that. We hope you enjoy joining us inside the therapy room. Welcome, Melanie. How are you going? I'm doing well, thank you. It's so nice to talk to you. Amazing. It's so good. We've. I feel like we've been Instagram following one another for a little while. It's yeah. nice to finally be Slightly in person, virtually in person, I guess. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Amazing. So for everybody who is listening slash watching or if you are reading, Melanie is a counsellor who works fully online. Whereabouts are you based? Uh, so I'm based just outside of Cairns in Gordon Vale. Amazing. Gosh, it would be warm up there, I would be expecting. Yeah, it's pretty much hot all year round. You guys round. get winter? Uh, we have had a nice a um, little bit of a cool patch this year, which has been really good. I'm not sure I could live up. I lived in Brisbane for about six months and that was as yeah. hot as I could handle. Yeah. Um, I am a winter snuggle into a into a blanket type <laughs> of person. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure how you do it. It is. <laughs> Air is <con>. it? Yeah. <laughs> good. Good point. Aircon. So Melanie works with chronic illness and chronic pain, correct? Yeah, that's yep. right. And you work completely online, which I'm assuming probably helps with some accessibility stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So fully okay. online or over the phone, depending on what clients need. Yep. Amazing. And you work, in, you work from a lived experience point of view, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a master's of counselling from Monash University. Prior to that, I did education. Um, and worked as a primary school teacher. And during my master's, I actually became chronically ill. And when I went to find work, I couldn't find work in the area I wanted. And so that's what led me to private practice. Amazing. What a beautiful natural transition that sort of just like came out of something that probably was really painful pun mm. not intended be mm. honest to be honest but um you know a really painful and probably a really confusing time you know trying to find work and things like that to be able to then sort of transition into that space to be supporting the very thing that you've been experiencing yourself 
Yeah. I think lived experience is personally one of a really beautiful way to work. It's part of the way that I work as well. I think Mm. it allows us to connect with the people in our rooms or virtual rooms on a different level. I think it's a soul connection that happens there when there's lived experience and mutual, mutual experience. So Mm. that's really great. I see clients relax when they when they are explaining their experience to me and I go, oh, I know what that's like because X, Y, Z. And they just relax and suddenly you've built a much closer therapeutic alliance just through that shared experience. Absolutely. Um, I totally totally agree. So much power in that. I think um I think I find that I see the same thing and I think it's largely about not having to educate your your therapist about you know all of the facets that might come for you it might be medical terminology or things like that and and not having to sit down and go okay this is what I'm feeling and this is what I'm experiencing but now I need to explain it all to you as well so mm-hmm. it's sort of it's one less thing that they need to worry about in that space that's ideally supposed to be a really safe ease about it. So mm-hmm. webinar, you have a webinar to teach mental health professionals, correct? Yes, that's correct. So okay. um, I've been working on it for quite a while now. The path of making a webinar with chronic illness about chronic illness is not smooth. Um, I would imagine it wouldn't be. <laughs> but the webinar is called Chronic Illness five things your clients want you to know. So it is from my lived experience, my observations, my reading online, my research, it is the five most common things I hear from clients, what they need from the mental health professionals around the chronic illness experience. So really looking forward to um, launching that and supporting therapists to become chronic condition competent (laughs) in that area. Perfect. I think it's really important. I think it's happening a lot in different spaces. You know, it's very much happening in the neurodivergent space to be Mm -hmm. neuroaffirming. I think it's just as important to be accessible, to be affirming of those who are in a chronic illness or pain space or a disability Mm -hmm. space or something like that. So um, I think it's so needed. I think it's going to be great, hopefully. It lands in lots of people's inboxes because I think, think, which probably leads to a really great transition of what chronic pain or illness even looks like for people, Mm. because I'm, I'm sensing that perhaps there might be a really great need to distinguish between chronic and terminal, that those Mm. are not the same thing. Um, I think for some people, the chronic has the same connotation. So there's probably a a need to distinguish between that as well. But it's probably a really great lead in. So tell us a little bit about who might be, who have chronic pain or illness or what does that look like? Yeah. So I guess the broad spectrum is from, I guess, I hate to use the words mild, but I will use it because it captures what I'm trying to say. So from a more mild diagnosis or more mild range of symptoms, whether that's chronic fatigue, whether that's, you know, musculoskeletal pain, back pain, neck pain, endometriosis, or whether it's the other end where you've got people who are housebound and they can't get out of the house without mobility devices or they're completely bedbound. Um, yeah. So I have clients from both ends of the spectrum and I'm, I find that, you know, on this 
end of the spectrum where people are bed bound, you know, they lose the ability to talk upon occasion, they require 24-7 care. The strategies you would normally use in therapy have to be adapted. Otherwise, they become very inaccessible and actually harmful to clients. And so, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of range within that chronic illness space. So people might have myalgic encephalomyelitis, MECFS, um, mast cell activation syndrome, hypermobility. Gosh, I'm just trying to think of all the other things that people sometimes come to me for. Some people may have you know problems with endometriosis polycystic ovarian syndrome, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis. So it's any of those chronic illnesses which often come in clusters, unfortunately. Yeah, people often present, you know, quite burnt out from managing their chronic illness. They often present with a sense of maybe not being understood by some of the people in their life. They may present not realizing that what they're going through is actually grief and loss. And yeah, I did a post a while ago on Instagram about the grief and loss and just sitting down and writing for myself. Some of the things that I've lost in the process was really like, oh, wow, who I am is no longer the same. And having to kind of like rewrite that story for yourself and doing that with clients. So yeah, did I catch what Absolutely. you Absolutely. I think, yeah. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. I have mm. insulin resistance. I have nerve damage in my lower back. So I have chronic lower back pain. Mm. And I think that people often, I struggled in even labeling it as chronic pain. I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, things like diabetes or the things that tend to happen to a lot of people, you know, some of those sort of higher end needs are not happening to, you know, a whole bunch of, of mm. people around you. It's, it might be a bit more rare, but, you know, there's stacks of people with diabetes. There's stacks of people with endometriosis diagnosed or undiagnosed, but it is, I know for myself, when I was diagnosed with PCOS that, you know, the word chronic illness was just like, it felt a bit weird. It was, you know, it wasn't something that I was like, you know, that surely that has to be reserved for something more serious. But you're right, the the overwhelming pain and anxiety and grief and fear and all of those, you know, emotions that come along with it just compound it and make it so much of a bigger thing than just, you know, something that is to do with, you know, a cycle or to do with insulin, you know, Mm. production and things like that. So Mm. I think it's great for more people to be able to realize, hey, I didn't realize that that was, you know, it fell under the the category of chronic pain or chronic illness, you know. So I think that, yeah, I think that that's a, a great gamut. I also think surely you must be good at tongue twisters because rattling off those names. Oh my goodness. I was very impressed. <laughs> so yeah, it's even definitely, remembering them. Yeah. It's definitely, um, yeah. I spend a lot of time trying to understand the experiences that my clients have gone through. So if a client presents at intake, you know, I I have an online form, so it's savable. They can add details as they feel able, but also they're welcome to just tell me in the first session. So you've got that flexibility. But if 
I have the information to hand, I'll do some research and try and have at least a basic knowledge. If I can read some lived experience, whether it's some medium blogs, whether it's, um, you know, following a few Instagram accounts of people who are sharing their lived experience of said illness or said condition, just so that I can try and capture some of the nuances of what it's like to have that particular, um, you know, experience in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a bit of a left field question, but it just came to me whether perhaps have you seen more prevalence of perhaps long COVID and things like that, that has come up that's, you know, affecting fatigue and, and you know, breathing and things like that? So I, because I follow the MECFS community online and I'm quite involved there, they've gathered in the long COVID people and said, like, you belong with us, we care about you, please stop rest pace. And I've even seen kind of in my own city, you know, posts on chronic illness forums about people and posts online about people struggling with these symptoms and then struggling to get help Um, because, you know, we're in a city where there's no specialists for long COVID. There's no specialists for energy impairments. And it's very misunderstood, you know, like if we think about the NDIS and how challenging it can be if you've got an energy impairment to um, get support, even though it is a genuine disability. Um, oh, yes. So, yes, I... I have heard and read a lot more about long COVID. I'm hoping that the research we're seeing and the boost in funding um, will have knock-on effects with other kind of conditions in the same, you know, autoimmune um, category as long COVID. But I'm also seeing lots of people hurt, being hurt by, you know, the NICE guidelines from the UK came out in 2021 and They no longer recommend graded exercise therapy in the case of chronic fatigue syndrome and ME. And because it's got a very similar symptomology to long COVID, it's it's not recommended in long COVID either. Um, However, in Australia, we don't have updated guidelines. And so people with long COVID are being told, you know, just exercise. And they then experience post-exertional malaise, which can look like a flare of autoimmune symptoms, sore throat, um, you know, aching legs, muscles, even losing the ability to talk and move. And then that you can get into that cycle of rolling permanent actually makes your severity increase um, and you can do less and less over time. So the ME community and chronic fatigue syndrome community have been like, please stop, rest, pace if you've got long COVID. Yeah. 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 Sorry, that was my autistic info. No, <laughs> no, that's fine. I it, shouldn't apologize. You know, it must be really difficult, not just with long COVID, but with some of the other conditions where there may not be a lot of research, there may not be a lot of understanding. And obviously, you know, we are very much seeing that with long COVID at the moment because it is very new and there isn't a lot of research and information and recommendations and things like that for, for that. So, you know, it would be difficult for you know the person themselves but also you working with them in terms of you know there's so much unknown and unknown it creates a lot of fear for a lot of people yeah and I'll just flag it right now so if anyone who's listening um, is a therapist (laughs) um, and you've got clients or you're interested in working with people who have long COVID or ME-CFS Emerge Australia 
have partnered with ThinkGP um, for two hours of professional development that you can get certificates for. And it is the latest research. It is, you know, people with lived experience have shared and like made sure it was the right kind of information. Um, And that's, yeah, up to date. So if you're looking at doing PD, that's where I'd go for PD in that area. Amazing. Great recommendation. I might even do it, to be honest. Oh, no. Seriously, <laughs> it's so worth it. It's, and I think it's, it's free. and Absolutely. And I think, you know, any therapist who is passing up the opportunity to learn on a particularly an area that there is so much unknown about not only the condition itself, but how it is being manifested and presented and dealt with emotionally um, is, you know, bonkers. Who passes that up? So, mm. so one of the things that I got, you to think about in anticipation is what are some of the things that you might want people to know about either you know being somebody who has chronic pain or illness seeking therapy or people who might not understand what it is like for somebody who is chronically ill to have therapy Mm, yeah yeah so one of the things that I found in working with clients, so maybe people with chronic illness can relate to this and maybe um, people listening who want to work with people with chronic illness, um, this could be helpful, is the question of how are you is actually really hard to answer. And so because you're always weighing up, do they want an honest answer? Um, Because the honest answer could be quite brutal in terms of like, you know, I haven't left bed all week. Um, (laughs) I've been saving up my spoons for X, Y, Z. So something I've noted in my own practice is if you come to see me, I'm going to try my best to ask you a different question <laughs> Amazing. Um, at the start I of the session. Being asked how I, yeah. I hate that yeah. question. How are you? Yeah. I think it's, I think like you said, you just like, you don't actually want to know that. Maybe mm. ask me something a little bit more specific that you actually want to know. So mm. I think that's mm. great. Mm. Yeah. So questions I'll ask are things like what's been happening this week? Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to talk about? Yeah. How have things been going? Is there anything you want to update me on? Is kind of my way of starting the session. I personally worked with a counsellor who used to ask, um, what would you like to get done today? And oh, I like that amazing. as well. Yeah. Um, and and that can be tailored particularly to, you know, someone who you know is going to come to session with their agenda. It's got and purpose. Yeah, yeah. So Let's get shit done. Yeah. So think about the first question you ask the client and can it be a little more creative than how are you and in that way actually demonstrate a deeper empathy for yeah. the people you're working with. Amazing. I think there is a really great lead. Tell us about the spoons theory. You mentioned it and I love the spoons theory. So give it to all of our (laughs) listeners as to what that is. Look, I can't give you the deep and dark history, but essentially it is a theory that people with chronic illnesses and others use to talk about energy. So Someone, you might say, you know, the average human has 10 spoons a day to use up on, you know, showering, going to work, having a social life, et cetera, et cetera, chores at home. Um, but someone with chronic illness might actually start the day with five or two. And so people with chronic illnesses might be like, okay, so I can have a shower which takes one spoon 
or I could, you know, um, have a conversation with my partner, <laughs> which yep. takes one spoon. And then I've only got one left for the day. What am I going to do with that? So yeah, I use it kind of colloquially as a like a don't have enough spoons to do that or or like I've used my spoons for the day. I guess it's just another way to communicate with people around you. Yeah, how you're going with your energy levels, um, kind of quick check-in, yeah. I think it's a great theory and I think mm. it's great because it can be applied to anybody regardless mm. of, mm. you know, obviously we're talking about it specifically for those who have chronic illness or pain but I think broadly it can be used for everybody I think we all have our own energy tanks and different things require a different amount of spoons you know cooking dinner for one person might take one spoon but it might take four for somebody else because the standing and the moving and the Mm. the amount of fatigue that that causes is is much greater so Mm. I think I think quite largely we we need to manage our energy better and I tend to I don't tend to use the word spoon but I do sort of use the the term energy quite loosely and Mm -hmm. go you know I just I don't have enough energy for that today and it's Mm -hmm. not about the other person it's not Mm -hmm. about it being a personal you know I'm rejecting that them or anything like that it's um it's about good self-care and boundaries and understanding where your limits are and things like that so um Mm -hmm. I think it's a really great theory and I think it probably applies to everybody, but more so for those who, yeah, like you said, have a limited amount of spoons for each day. Yeah, it's a really wonderful analogy. What's one more thing that you want people to know? My other thing, and, you know, this comes up time and time again in therapy, and I don't think people with chronic illnesses and therapists maybe know that it's it's always just so common, is wearing masks is an accessibility consideration. And so there are many people with chronic illnesses and disabilities who are still wearing masks either to protect themselves or because they know how disabling it is to get long COVID, other post-viral illnesses. So if you're a person with chronic illness seeking therapy and masking is important to you, perhaps look for a therapist that is still masking or is willing to offer telehealth. Yeah. Um, so video or phone sessions. If you're a therapist and you're working with chronically ill people, offer this accessibility either by, if you see a client present with a mask, wear one, <laughs> or offering them the accessibility of therapy online. Yeah, I know it's kind of... You know, most people are super over it at this stage, but for those of us who are in the vulnerable category, we're still wearing masks because yeah. we yeah. do not want to get sick. <laughs> no, absolutely. So in terms of the therapy room, obviously mm-hmm. we are inside the therapy room. That's what this space is designed for. Both of us literally are in our therapy rooms, yours online, mine virtual and in person. Um, both with beautiful Indigenous art behind us. Yes. Um, so tell us what it might be like inside the therapy room. Is there something unique about it? Like you said, there are some who might have the inability to talk. How we, you know, what does that look like for you mm. as a therapist and for them as clients? Yeah. So I'll go through kind of like from finding me intake process to like what it might look like in regular therapy. 
um, if that's something people are wanting to do. So people will find me either via website, Instagram. People with chronic illness often hang out on Instagram. On Instagram. Yeah, it's a pretty safe place and there's lots of really amazing advocates and accounts around chronic illness. Yeah. So, yeah, when you when you book a session with me, you can either book, you know, a 15-minute to just get to know me. I, I offer that because as someone who has had their own lived experience of working with medical professionals who gaslight you and treat you poorly, sometimes yeah. it just make, makes a difference to meet your therapist on a no-obligation basis. So that's one of the options. People can book either a phone appointment or a telehealth appointment. So that's for me at the moment, I'm using Zoom as my platform. And then, you know, if it's on the phone, I'll call them up. Um, I provide a intake, which is fairly um, considerable in size. Yep. <laughs> but I would imagine I it would need to be though. Yeah, yeah. I encourage people to fill out as much as they feel comfortable. And then anything that's left blank, we can fill in the details as they feel comfortable as we move along in therapy. It also gives me an opportunity, like I said before, to do a bit of research. If there's a condition that they're presenting with that I don't know much about, and I'd really like to understand it, um, so I can, yeah, grasp the nuance of their, what they've been going through. Um, so first session is a bit of, you know, a bit about me yep. <laughs> and my own lived experience as relevant to the client. I know that lived experience is quite a contested space and <laughs> counsellors, um, you know, are taught to hold back their lived experience to... Yeah not project onto clients. Stuff the self-disclosure down. Yes, stuff <laughs> so that self-disclosure down. Stuff it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. My approach is if the client brings something up that I may want to, you know, have a bit of self-disclosure around, share my experience, I say, do you mind if I share mm. something? And, yep. my, and, you know, clients have the option. They can say yes or no. And I try and keep it, you know, relevant to what's happening, possibly to demonstrate empathy and I understand where they're coming from Mm -hmm. and maybe to talk about how I may have walked through something, Mm -hmm. not because I expect someone else to do the same, but it may give them ideas about how they might walk through a similar circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. I think Uh, self-disclosure is one of those things that, you know, I completely understand that if it is used all the time or used, you know, the misuse of it can be incredibly damaging for clients in the space and and actually rupture that therapeutic alliance that we all talk about as wanting. But I personally, I've found my therapist because of his lived experience. That's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I think most people want somebody who is going to understand them and not, you know, just go off a a, a literature that they might have read or a video they watched or a training they did. It's an understanding on a whole nother level. And I think, you know, we always say to be seen is to be understood. And I think when we can see, you know, we talk about representation as well in media and things like that. And I think when we can see things, we go, oh, I'm so not alone here. This is not just me. This is, you know, I'm not the only person experiencing this. And I think there is that just a deep seated breath 
that happens for someone internally to go, Mm. this is not just me. Mm. And so I I think the self-disclosure lived experience debate that therapists tend to have, you know, I think if it's kept relevant and there is a purpose for it that is to help the client, not to, you know, turn the spotlight onto you, I think it can do a, a world of a world of good. So yeah. so lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um something else that is a little different is that after our discussion and after the session, I will have been taking notes throughout and collecting ideas of resources that I might want to share with the client. And then within, you know, 48 hours plus, I'll send an email to the client or I have an online space where they can log in. It, it depends on preference. If they give me permission to email their notes to them, but other people might prefer, you know, it behind password. So they get a copy of what we talked about <laughs> in brief. They get a copy of any resources or links to stuff um, that I think they might find helpful. Any growth work we have discussed for them to have a go at. Yeah. And I think that is very helpful, particularly in this space, because, you know, memory is Mm. a challenge. There's there's a cognitive impairment that can come with fatigue and other symptoms. Mm. So knowing that your therapist has got you. (laughs) And that um, they're going to follow up with you with what you talked about so that you can, yeah, go away, think about it. But there's no expectation to read your notes unless you want to, unless Mm. it's something you want to engage with. But it's something I offer to every client. Great. I I love that. I obviously, that's not something that I do, although I do have um, particularly couples who will say, can you email me that homework? Because I will forget by the time I get home Um, because, you know, a lot happens in, you know, Mm -hmm. a a session and it can be overwhelming to remember all of that. So I think it's, um, you know, on surface, it sounds very logistical and so admin-y, but I think, you know, the term that you said that like they know that I've got them. And I think that that sort of it's like a holding almost mm, 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 is mm. is a really beautiful thing disguised in admin really yeah. that's yeah, great yeah, I love yeah. that yeah office works, works would love that yeah yeah <laughs> and it works two ways because yeah. it's more motivating to do your client notes because yeah. you're continuing to serve them by doing the notes yeah um, absolutely yeah so it, it works it works yeah. I always let clients decide how often and if they want to yeah. come back Yep. So the option is there. I don't lock people in. Uh, some people see me every week. Some people see me fortnightly, monthly, or just occasionally just yep. go, hey, let's have a chat um, and catch up and see where we're up to. My style is very conversational, very yes. relaxed because my experience of therapists has sometimes been cold and you don't actually really know what they're thinking or doing clinical. I try not to be like that. Yeah. So that's kind of what it looks like inside my rooms. Um, I also offer short appointments for people who find a longer appointment too much. And then the shorter appointment is at a reduced rate um, because you're paying for less of my time. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that that flexibility is is needed probably in this space much more than others that, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly when you do have things like, energy levels and fatigue and tiredness and and illness and pain Mm. that you know pain can be a huge level of distraction particularly Mm. if they're sitting in a chair for a long period of time even just something as simple as that 
um, can be difficult. So I think that flexibility is is great. I think that's wonderful. So one last thing before we start to wrap things up, what is one myth? I'm going to ask this mm. to everybody. Mm. What is one myth that you would love to smash into pieces? I would love to smash the myth that chronically ill people are not welcome in the disability community. Yeah, Because you are welcome. If you want to identify as disabled mm. and use mobility aids and use assistive technology because you're chronically ill and yeah. learn from, you know, your disabled elders and like people with disabilities who have this lived experience and breadth of knowledge to share. You are so welcome as yeah. a chronically ill person. Yeah. And so, yeah, I particularly appreciate um, Carly Findlay's thoughts mm. on this and her reflections on it and, um, yeah, it was the thing that came to mind when I read the question about smashing the myths. So, yeah. I'm all about smashing the myths, particularly, you know, obviously part of the the reason that I wanted to develop this podcast was to try and break down that barrier of what therapy is like because I think it still has a stigma attached to it. I think it still has an air of, ooh, what happens in there? And really it's not all that big of a deal. <laughs> You know, so most of my sessions with people are just, we're just sitting here having a chat. So mm-hmm. it is, um, I think, I think it's um, smashing myths is great. So I love that. You are welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was great. This is not a space that I know a whole lot about. I obviously you know, like I said, I have PCOS and and chronic back pain, but I would never generally sort of identify myself as somebody who has chronic pain or illness. It, I don't, it's not really ever come up for, mm. for me. Um, but I think more and more it is starting to present into our rooms and into mm. our client bases. And mm. so I think it is an area that perhaps people need to upskill on. Um, mm. And I think it's probably also an area that some people don't even know they fit into also, mm. or don't even know that perhaps there are people who specialize in this area. I think automatically you think chronically ill and you think of medical professionals and you've got GPs and specialists and surgeons mm. and, you know, physios and rehabs and all of that sort of thing. And, and we forget that, you know, the body impacts the mind as well and the soul and the spirit and, mm. and all of that's got to be dealt with as well with somebody so I think hopefully people will find their way into the space that needs to to hold them so Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you for for working in the space I think it's a, a needed a needed space and thank you for bringing lived experience in because I think it's powerful yeah. so yeah. I know <laughs> My like pleasure. that it's a it's a contentious issue mm-hmm. but as somebody who um, uses her lived experience with my specialty, which will be coming in another episode. Um, yeah. You know, I think lived experience is powerful. So thank you for not just working from a book. I think yeah. My pleasure. Needed. It's needed yeah. in this. Yeah. So I think that's wonderful. And one last yeah. fact before go we go. It. So according to the most recent um, Australian Bureau of Statistics data collection, three quarters of Australians live with a chronic illness. 
So that is huge. That is huge. And that yeah. means they're in your therapy room. If you're a therapist, Absolutely. they are in your rooms. And yeah, it's essential that you invest in understanding what it's like to yeah. be a person with that lived experience. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think um, if therapists become aware and become, you know, trained in ways to mm. be affirming and accessible for chronic illness, people will feel open to be able to share that because mm. there's every chance that you have a client in your therapy room at the moment who hasn't shared with you a medical diagnosis or something that they're living with because they don't want to have mm. to have the effort of educating someone. Mm. Um, and so I think the more we can educate ourselves, the more clients are going to feel comfortable to share openly about medical diagnoses and, mm. you know, and pain that they're living with. And then your whole approach can change because mm. then you are working with their whole self and you're not, um, yes. something's not being missed. Yeah. So, and working with the whole self is, is the most important thing. So, well, thank you. It's been a great chat. I've loved it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that people can get some really good stuff out of it. And don't forget about Melanie's webinar if you are a training mental health professional or you are studying or you are just working in the helping space. It might, it probably will. I'm not going to say might. It probably will be very helpful. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Amazing. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. It's been amazing. We hope you enjoyed joining us inside the therapy room. Thanks for listening. 